Welcome back, everybody, to the Successful Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Howard. And today I have a special treat for you. So today we're going to be doing things a little bit different. And I actually wanted to bring on another guest, but I wanted to give a recap, a little quick preface of what's going to happen in this episode. So we just had St. Patrick's Day, and I absolutely love St. Patrick's Day, but I didn't use to. And the reason I didn't use to was because it was just a green man in a green suit with little green things everywhere, and I didn't understand it. Um, But after I started doing a little bit of research, I found out the incredible story about St. Patrick and who he actually was. And I've become really passionate and just inspired by somebody who was enslaved, kidnapped as a kid, stolen away from his home in the middle of the night and taken into Ireland and taken to a place where he had no relations, no knowing, no anything of the culture and was enslaved. And while he was there and enslaved, he grew to love the people. And it's an incredible story of how he heard the voice of God in the night telling him how to escape and where to go. And he was able to get out of there. And then through this amazing journey of coming back home, becoming uh, very uh, just, uh, what's the word, Uh, religious, he became very dived into all of religious text and he became a priest and after that happened his biggest desire was to take this back this knowledge of god back to the people in ireland Um, because at that time there was only um, pagan belief there there was no christianity and so i just love the story i love how much even though he was enslaved there he loves the people and he came back and brought something that also helped him feel love which is god And so in honor of St. Patrick's Day, I'm actually going to now let you listen to an interview I did with a pastor who is doing the same thing in our day today, where he is risking his life and going into dangerous areas of the world, spreading the word of God, trying to help people know that they are loved, that there is a God who wants them, who loves them, and that there is so much hope in this world. So I hope that you enjoy this message. I hope that you understand how amazing it is when we just show up in our lives with awareness and abundance and knowing that God is there. He is in everything. He is all around us and that he loves you. And I love you guys and enjoy this Enjoy this podcast. Here we uncover the traditions that are working for successful parents. For the parents who are ready to do things differently but aren't sure how, go to WandaHoward.com and download my free blueprint. It will help you create the difference you've been looking for and enable your kids to be emotionally healthy and confident throughout their lives. Now is the time to start doing things differently. And we're back. Welcome, everybody. Today we have with us Brad Brandon. Um, This is going to be a fun story. He has been doing a lot of work overseas with Nigeria and Muslims. And there's so many uh, just topics in this part of the world that I am totally unaware of. And so I'm really excited to find out more myself. And so follow along with us on this journey as we understand the different dynamics between balancing a family of eight kids and overseas, and also how to get involved, how to help people if you feel called to serve those people over there because amazing, amazing people all over the world. And each one of us feels called to help the individuals um, in our own way. So 
welcome and welcome, Brad. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be on with you, Wanda. I appreciate uh, you having me on and I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. Well, and hopefully everybody will be able to um, get through my stuffiness. I keep like having to sniff. And so if you hear... <laughs> <laughs> you sound fine. Oh, good. <laughs> so, um, Brad, first, tell us exactly what is the specific work that you're doing overseas? So I am the CEO and founder of an organization called Across Nigeria. And basically what we do in a nutshell, we have like three kind of components of, of how we serve. Uh, the people of Nigeria and greater West Africa. We build schools for Muslims, and we also help the persecuted church there as well. So there's a lot of persecuted Christians in this area of the world because of the civil unrest and other things going on. And then also uh, our heart really is to plant churches in northern Nigeria and uh, just really bring people together so that we can uh, disciple them uh, in God's word, help them to grow in their relationship with God, and uh, just really experience a, a relationship with God to, to the fullness. So that's really our, our the three main components that we we uh, focus on. Oh, that's so cool. And one of the things that keeps like, I have this yo-yo effect in my own brain of one, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm Christian myself. I know personally how valuable God is in your life and the personal blessings that can come from that. But then yeah. the other side of it is Nigeria is one of like the most dangerous places in the world, especially for Christians. And so what, what does that look like? How, what have you seen um, happening in people's lives and how has this helped them? Well, I, I think first of all, I, I just want to mention how uh, great a move of God is happening in Northern Nigeria. So there's a lot of persecution and opposition but just like God's word said, when there's there's an there's a door that's open, an effectual door is opened unto me. Paul says he says there are many adversaries. So whenever there's a great work of God happening, there's also a lot of adversaries at work as well because the enemy is a powerful force. So a lot of times, what we see in northern Nigeria, um, it's mostly controlled by Islam. And with that comes uh, Sharia law. Maybe your listeners have heard about Sharia law, but it's basically the Islamic law that usurps the local or civil law. And uh, so everything's operated by the Islamic law. One of the most dangerous things in Sharia law is a doctrine called Arim al-Sharif, which means honor killing. And what that means is that if you're a Muslim in northern Nigeria and you convert to Christianity, your family can legally kill you. Um, it's, it's to avenge the, the honor of, of that family. And so we experience that all the time. In fact, one of our ministries, one of the pillars of our ministries, uh, is to help persecuted Christians in Northern Nigeria. And one of the groups of persecuted Christians are Muslims who convert to Christianity and their families or their communities are now seeking to kill them. So we'll go into those places and take them out of those situations. And we have a refugee facility in Nigeria where we house them, we feed them, we disciple them. Uh, we give them a plot of land to grow a garden and really uh, take care of a lot of their felt needs. But the biggest thing is, is to get them rooted and grounded in their faith. So we keep them there and we keep them safe. Um, well, by God's grace, we keep them safe from, from any harm that would come to them. But, but that's a reality that happens. Uh, we are running into situations every day uh, where people's lives are in danger simply because they converted from Islam 
and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's a big part of our ministry. Yeah. What is like the most difficult? I mean, obviously that sounds terrible to just live in that reality where um, it's legal for your family to kill you. But what is like the most difficult transition for people getting out of um, that situation, that mindset, that feeling that I'm sure a lot of guilt has to come along with even converting at all. So what, what's that like for them? Well, I think there's a couple dynamics in that. I mean, one, it's just the the entire change of life and culture. And really, a lot of it is the loss of family. I mean, when you run, enter into a situation like that, where your family wants to kill you, you you've lost your, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. I mean, whether they want to kill you or not, they, they disassociate with you. Um, not only that, but a lot of times people will lose everything that they have. Uh, we've had situations where we've rescued people and they have lost their businesses. They had very successful businesses and done very well. Um, either the government or the family comes in, seizes those businesses, freezes those funds, uh, and they lose everything and go on the run and they have nothing. So there's there's that aspect of it too. Um, there's also very painful aspects of sometimes there'll be a, a, a mom, a young mom who has young children. And she will convert to Christianity from Islam. She'll, she'll come to Christ to know the love of God through Christ. And all of a sudden, her husband will take their kids and run away with the kids. So you can imagine there, we have, we have mothers in our refugee facility who've given up everything, even their own children because they chose Jesus instead of Islam. Um, so you can imagine all the dynamics and the pain and the emotional stress and, and just the healing that needs to happen in those situations. I mean, that that's just that's just par for the course for what we do. And I'm not saying that flippantly, but it's yeah. just an everyday occurrence. Yeah, yeah. They definitely being able to have a safe place to come to after yes. having that conversion like that is huge. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, on the business side of things, are you able to advertise and like get the word out there, or do you have to stay pretty like secret and off the grid? That's that's a great question because there's really a fine balance with that. A lot of what we do depends on support from back here in the United States. Um, and so we, we have a website, uh, crossnigeria.org. I travel around and speak at different places to try to work, raise awareness. But also with that, the balance is, um, okay, there's some things I can put on social media. There's some things I can't. But but at the same time, you're trying to raise awareness. But at, <laughs> at, the, at the same time, you can you can make pe- give people too much information because there are people who are watching us and following us. Uh, even just this last trip, uh, I just got back a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when I left, uh, there had been people who had been sent uh, to Abuja to try to find me and some of the, the Nigerian pastors that I work with. And, and they had put a from what I heard, they put a contract out on our life. So, so there are people looking for us. There are people aware of what we're doing, but at the same time, we got to raise awareness back here in the United States and let people know what's going on. So it's a very, very fine balance. A lot of times um, when I tell stories, I might change the name or the location of where that person is at. Uh, Things that I post on social media, I'll change names or blur out faces so we are sensitive to that, but we also know, hey, to raise awareness and to raise support, we got to tell people the stories. Definitely. And so with 
um, that contract out on your life? Like, are you able to go back there? You have to stay here in the U.S. for a certain while or? Yeah, no, I'll go back. I'll go back. It's not the first time that's happened. So, so I'm scheduled to go back uh, next, uh, next month. Uh, I'll be going back there and continuing to do what we do. We travel in Northern Nigeria and that's it. You know, it's like you mentioned, it's one of the most dangerous places in the world right now. I think Open Doors, who tracks the persecuted church, has it listed at like five or six uh, of the uh, five or sixth of the most dangerous places in the world. Um, And, you know, we we experience that every time we go, we experience opposition from Boko Haram or groups like ISWA, the Islamic State of West Africa, or even Fulani Muslims, which are extremely dangerous and violent people. Uh, And in fact, God has placed a great burden in my heart for Fulani Muslims to reach them with the gospel of Christ. So nothing stops us. We're not reckless, but we're also not fearful in what we do. We go in the power in the name of the Lord and he protects us and he provides for us. Wow. That's incredible. And I'm, I know the work that you're doing is got to be blessing millions. Um, but that yeah. leads us to the home front. What is that like for your wife and your kids? And like, you have a, you have a family <laughs> of eight kids and yeah. overseas a lot. So what does that look like? Yeah. I appreciate you asking me that because that's often an aspect that kind of gets forgotten about because of the, uh, you know, the sensational stories that we have and the things that we do over there. Um, You know, not a lot of people think, oh, he's got a family and he's got kids back home and what's his wife doing? And uh, yeah, so that dynamic is, 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 can be complicated to manage. And it's something that I always have to be very conscientious of. And I kind of compartmentalize my life into what I like to call four gardens. Uh, one of them is faith. The other is family. Uh, one is community. That's like my friends and, and and people I associate with. And then my calling. And that's what we're doing in Nigeria. And if I think of them in terms of each of them are a garden, uh, you know, if the garden's going to grow and be healthy, I need to water that garden. I need to make sure that that that, that garden has everything that it needs to grow and and produce health and life and, and all of those things. So one of my most important gardens that I'm constantly watering is my family. And that is just making sure that when I'm in, uh, you know, cause I leave for a month or two at a time. So I'm gone for that, that length of time. That means I'm not home with my wife. I'm not home with my kids. When I come home, um, I really try to press into them and invest in that garden that I call my family. Um, that means, you know, dates with my wife and taking her out and getting coffee with her every chance I can get, trying to make up for that time that I was missing for so long. And then my kids, too, you know, will go to a movie or I'll take my daughters out for coffee. And I really do make a conscientious effort to water that garden and make sure it's getting plenty of light. And that's that's just kind of the illustration that I have in my head that helps me to make sure that I'm conscientious of that. I actually have a graph where it's, you know, four squares. One's called faith, family, uh, community, and calling. So I have it on my phone. I have it on my computer. I have it on my tablet. It just reminds me that I constantly have to be watering all of those gardens uh, in order to to reap the benefits and the fruit from it. So um, that that's just the picture that I have in my mind that helps me uh, stay aware of it. Yeah, that's really beautiful with 
especially with a garden analogy, like, yeah, you can't weed every inch, every second, but right, you know that right. there are weeds go- growing. So you can focus where you can and then come and take care of the other weeds that are there. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. so what yeah. does that look like then? Like, are you able to call your wife and kids while you're over in Nigeria? How much contact do you get? That That's tricky because it, it's definitely improved. I've been going to Nigeria and traveling back and forth for probably about the last five years. When I first started going there, it was impossible unless I was in a, a major city like Abuja. We travel way out in the bush, way up in the north, and it's completely desert and desolate. Um, and, and back five years ago, I, I could barely make a phone call, couldn't text. And, and now at least I can, for the most part throughout Northern Nigeria, I can get 3G, which at least allows me to make a phone call or allows me to text. And sometimes occasionally I can even do like a FaceTime call. Um, but the tricky part of that is, is that often the Nigerian government to combat terrorism in those areas will shut down all the cell towers. Um, oh, so wow. like when I was there last September, um, they, they had shut down all the cell towers in the north because there was so much uh, terrorist activity. Now in their mind, they're stopping the terrorists from communicating. But from my perspective, well, they're stopping me from communicating with my team and also my family back in the States. So it, it's, it's hit or miss where you are Wow. Uh, as far as is, is, is are you going to be able to call home and communicate with home? Uh, but I take every opportunity that I can uh, to do that. And, and also another part of it is electricity. Um, electricity is off and on constantly. You might have it for an hour and then it goes off the rest of the day and it's gone for a couple days and then it comes back on. Or you might have it for a full day. So I just learned that whenever we have electricity, get everything plugged in and start charging everything because you never know when it's going to go off. And I, and I also travel with a big, um, uh, like a, like a portable charger, like a battery uh, (laughs) that charges myself, but um, it's, it's definitely improved, but there's still uh, tricks uh, of getting around and and it still can be very difficult to get communicate back home. Yeah. So what about like emails or if you need to get out of a dangerous situation quickly or get airplane tickets? Like, are you still able to do those things or do you just have to hunker down and wait for power to come back on? Hunker down and wait. That's, that's what we do. Um, You know, it's, it's just situations like that. Um, If there's a dangerous situation that comes up, especially when we're in the North, it's really like the wild West up there. If something happens, there's nobody to call. Uh, you're not going to be able to call the police or the authorities or or anything like that. So you make the best of the situations that you have. Um, I was there last year uh, and we were doing one of our tours through the north where we were, you know, reaching out to Muslims. And and really, when I say reaching out to Muslims, I, I really mean just showing them the love of Christ, because that's the most powerful way that yeah. we reach them is just to love them like like Christ said. And so we'll go through the north and, and we'll visit with Muslim villages and, and things like that. Um, you know, we got back, uh, we dropped one of our, our pastor friends off who had worked for us. Uh, and uh, we went to pick him up the next morning. And, um, uh, you know, they, they people had come in and they burned his church. They burned his house mm-hmm. and we found him and, and he was murdered in his bed. Um, so we had to take his body and bring it to our refugee facility and, you know, when things like that happens, it's like, who do you call? There's nobody to call. 
not like here in the States, you know, it's, it's these concepts, like, like I talked about before, um, uh, the, the doctrine of Arim al-Sharif, where you can kill a family member. Um, there's no one to call. There's no insurance. There's no police. There's no military to call to help. These, these are concepts that, that are very foreign to us here in the United States. You think, how could somebody live like that? Um, people live like that all the time in that region of the world. Yeah. Wow. Makes me so much more grateful for the freedoms that we have and the systems <laughs> yes. that we have in place. Yes. Oh, that feels like yes. that feels like that would be a nightmare. And, and I'm sure most of the people that live there, it's their home and they love that land, but it's got to have this emotional strain that comes with constantly watching over your shoulder and making sure you stay in the lines and Oh, yeah, it does. It does. I, th- I think God has placed within us a, a mechanism that helps us to assimilate to whatever we're environment, uh, whatever environment that we're in. It's really amazing what uh, amazing. I don't I say that it, it sounds like a good thing, but it's really remarkable. Let's put it that way of how your mind and your thinking can become accustomed to horrible situations. Um, there's there's IDP camps in Nigeria. Those are internally displaced persons. There's about 2 million of them, uh, people in IDP camps throughout uh, Nigeria. And the conditions in a lot of them are extremely horrible. Um, No food. So there's people starving, no medicine. So there's people dying of diseases. There's bodies stacked up covered with tarps. You you can imagine these, these horrible situations. And yet in the midst of all of that, there's kids playing tag, and there's people doing their daily life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you just think, how in the world can you just normalize this? But but our brain has is a powerful, has a powerful mechanism in it to really kind of, you know, block out the horrible situation and, and do what you need to do to survive. It's, it's, it's really remarkable how God has placed that within us. Yeah, that's incredible that they are so stalwart and and it's good that they can find things to have fun and and play and that that leads yeah. me to another question too is like you and your other associates that you go over there you see these terrible things you know the circumstances firsthand of how awful it is and then you come back how do you just go about the day how do you live and <laughs> be in the present enjoy the freedoms of the fun activities here with your family when you know so well what's going on? Uh, that That's a great question. Very insightful. Um, it's difficult to come back. A lot of people think like, you know, how do you get accustomed to going there? It's, it's really not that hard for me to go there and just be dropped into that situation. What is even infinitely more difficult is to come back out of that situation and get dropped here. Um, I always experience some level of PTSD, uh, depending on what's happened there. I, I, I had a pretty extreme, uh, experience with PTSD coming back after my pastor friend was killed. Um, and, and to some degree, I experience that every time that I come back and a lot of it manifests itself with just frustration with people here. Um, and, and just, you know, you hear people complain or even sometimes, you see somebody having fun and you just think you start to think, you know, like, well, they can't have that there and they're suffering. And, and everybody here is kind of oblivious to everything going on over there. And all Americans think everybody else in the world lives like we do and they don't. And, and so you experience all of that frustration, but 
really one thing that helps me is just to give it to the Lord and, and bring it to the Lord in prayer and ask God to give me grace uh, in dealing with people uh, when I come back. And then there's just practical things like I'll sleep uh, there. I sleep with my clothes on, bags packed, ready to go at any time. I can get the call that we need to go because of a situation. So when I come back here, um, you know, same thing, like I'll sleep with my clothes on for a period of time and, and it's just trying to get used to being back. And, um, you know, for a while it was strange for me to come back and not have things crawling on the wall. You know, in, oh. in Nigeria, there's things crawling all over the place, um, at least where, where we end up sleeping. And for uh, me to come back and not see that, you get used to it after a while, and then it becomes like a comfort thing. And and then anything else is strange and weird. So there's always that transition of coming back. But a lot of people, like I said, they think it's harder for me to transition going there. It's really harder for me to transition coming back here to the States. And, and I always tell people this, like, it's so much easier to be a Christian in Nigeria than it is here in the United States. And people are like, what in the world do you mean by that? And like, this is what I mean is that being a Christian in Nigeria, it requires you to have faith. Everything that you do, you have to be trusting in the Lord. Like you can't even walk out your front door in the morning without trusting God to protect you and provide for you. When you come back to the, or when I come back to the US, like I can do anything, I can go anywhere and I don't need God. I don't need God to go to the store. I don't need God to go to work. I don't need God to, I don't need God to do any, I don't need God with me to do anything. In Nigeria, you need God going with you everywhere you go. And so I guess that's what I mean by it's so much easier to live the Christian life in Nigeria than it is here because you get accustomed to just living your own life here. Yeah. When you're in survival mode, there's something kicks on inside of you where it's like full attention right there yes. and, and you have to be very present with God. <laughs> very true. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that I think this is so valuable for anybody listening to realize is that transition from coming from a really hard circumstance into um, a place of abundance where people are having fun and they're complaining about little things or the, or right. the laws and things yes. that we have and realizing like, yeah, there's things that we need to fix, but there's even more over here that we need to help with. <laughs> right, um, right, right. I think that um, I want to. I wanted to just share this that for me, um, one of the things I have to keep reminding myself of, because I I fall into that trap a lot of like, well, I'm doing these things, I'm helping my kids. Yes, it's all good things, but there's other people in the world that really need help, and my heart goes out to the Muslims and people in Nigeria and all over that are just struggling. And I have to go back to my childhood. And um, as a kid, I was I was raised in very hard situation, and just um, my family did the best they could. But there was abuse, and there was um, a lot of survival. <laughs> there was a yes. lot of survival that I just had to live from day to day. And um, the thing that gave me hope was seeing other people live, seeing other people have joy, seeing them enjoy life. And every single time that I would see a family just talk together and people enjoying their work or people going out and having fun, like I wanted that. And that kept me something inside of me alive. And and so I, I want people to realize how valuable it is to, it is a service to enjoy where you are 
because it gives people in survival hope that they can have that too. That's a great perspective. I I really like that. Wow. Um, So before we end, there's so many, there's, oh man, I could just keep going on and on and on in this conversation (laughs) because it is such a needed conversation right now. Um, How do people get involved? What, what can they do to start helping? I know that so many people want to help, um, but there's one, the scare of, well, if I donate to this, uh, I don't, I don't, I can't even think of the name right now. If I donate to this uh, nonprofit organization, will the money really go to the people? And then yeah. there's the worry of how, how more can I get involved? Do I need to go over there myself? Like what is the best way for people to start helping? But it, to help us and, and, and support us, if any of your listeners are, are called to do so, um, our website is a great place to start. Uh, first of all, we have opportunities to volunteer. We're always looking for volunteers uh, in the medical field, uh, even in the solar field right now, um, or just volunteers to, to come over and help us with different projects. Um, a lot of times when we have volunteers, we won't go into the extreme high risk areas, but there's other things that people can do as well. So they can support and, and help us by volunteering. And then also there's uh, other ways where people can just raise awareness. I mean, even just simple things like talking about this in church and saying, hey, um, there's this organization, it's called Across Nigeria, go to their website, acrossnigeria.org, check it out. And just just raising awareness for what's happening and the needs that are out there. Because a lot of people just don't know. They don't, they don't talk about the fact that there were 5,191 Christians that were killed in Northern Nigeria last year. Nobody talks about that. Um, and, and, and the news doesn't cover it. So just even raising awareness by having conversations with people, I think is a big thing. And then of course, going to our website and, and financially supporting. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about does the money actually go to the field? I, I know there's a lot of organizations who do different things, different ways for our organization. Uh, every dollar that's given goes straight to the mission field. Um, it goes to the people in need. It goes to feed people in our refugee facility, Christians who are being persecuted. Um, we feed them, we house them, and and all of that support goes uh, 100% to them. Uh, or it goes to one of our uh, Muslim schools that we start throughout northern Nigeria that's designed to really use the Bible to teach children to read and write English, which is like a college education there. Uh, But we've been invited into Muslim villages to teach their children to read and write English and use the Bible to do so. So we're bringing that light of God's word into those uh, Muslim villages. So everything that we take in as far as support, uh, it goes right to the field. Uh, We have very almost none in the way of administrative costs or anything like that. So that's one of the things I'm really um, excited about that God has put us in a position to where we can do that. We can take people's money and just turn around and give it right to the people who need it. So really raising awareness, financial support, prayer support in churches, and then just, just talking about it or volunteering. Those are great ways to get involved and, and really make a difference for God's kingdom. Yeah, those are great, great ways. Um, I want to drive this home a little bit more. So a lot of people hearing this um, will probably think of helping to raise awareness, to spread the word and to get it out more. But I know, especially with uh, social media, there's so many people 
raising awareness on different things. There's so many different posts, <laughs> That's true. different things going on. So what, what have you seen? What has it helped? I feel like people need to know what um, effect it's actually having when they raise awareness. What is going on on your end that you've seen that help with? Yeah, I, that's a great question. They get the conversation rolling, a conversation that would have never been had before or would have been had to something else or words that would have been given to to another thing, um, you know, just talking about the game or talking about the weather. And then all of a sudden, people's minds start churning in these conversations and, and, and talking about things of value, uh, people in need, how we can help, what we can do. Getting those conversations rolling is is amazing. Um, just how churches connect with other churches. I've gotten calls from pastors and churches I've never met. And they said, you know, there's people in our church, they're talking about what you're doing. Um, I, I wanna have you come in and, and talk to our church about it. And so it just furthers that conversation. And really it, it snowballs. Uh, then it's, I'm invited to a conference to talk there and, and about it. Uh, I've even been invited to talk here in colleges here in the U.S. about what we're doing. And it's all because somebody somewhere got the conversation rolling and started talking about it. So it does make a difference. Uh, if you if you talk to any business owner uh, who's in retail, they'll tell you word of mouth is the best advertising. And that's exactly what we experience as well. It's just talking about it gets the conversation rolling and it grows and grows and grows and and it just compounds on itself. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that is super helpful. Yeah. Everything is made up of energy and energy starts in our own thoughts. And then when we get those out, it really does have that snowball. There you go. That's oh. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so one last question then sure. um, for all the parents listening and they're wanting to know either how they can get involved themselves, how they can raise their kids to also enjoy service and to be aware of their uh, fellow man all over the earth. Like, how, what would be the number one tip that you would give them to be able to do that? I think as far as parents go is to really teach their children that at the basis of our purpose, um, we all have to find our purpose and our calling and, and what God has placed us on this earth to do. At the heart of it is serving others. I mean, that's why, that's why Jesus came. And certainly if the son of God came to earth and his purpose is to be a servant, um, then, then it's no greater for us. I mean, we have to have that heart of Christ and teaching that to our children, that idea of serving others is an important part. My family and I had put together a mission statement and uh, all of us got together. It's kind of like our family constitution. And we all signed it. Um, one day we had a big party and we ordered dessert at a restaurant and we had this, drew out this constitution. And part of that constitution is our commitment to serving the people in need around us. And I think talking about that to our children, acting that out in our families, um, going to a, a homeless shelter and volunteering with your kids, getting them in that environment will really turn their heart and help them to realize that, hey, part of my purpose here on this earth is to serve other people. I grew up uh, in Minnesota and my parents ran a homeless shelter in Minneapolis for, for many, many years. Um, I think that never left me. Um, my, I, I understand that the, at the core of my purpose here on this earth, I'm supposed to be serving other people to some degree or in some way, 
Uh, my life has always revolved around what can I do to improve the life of other people? And I think that's at the core of finding, uh, finding our why, why we exist here. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for coming and sharing everything, for yeah. raising awareness, because holy cow, there is, there is so much work that we can all help achieve. So thank you for what you're doing. There is. And yeah, we will see you all next time. Thank you again for being a part of our podcast family and for the difference you are making right now in the world and in the walls of your own home. If you're wanting to support parents everywhere, you can do that by leaving a rate and review. This helps so many find connection and answers they are searching for. Also, don't forget to go to WandaHoward.com and get your own free parenting blueprint. I love you all and we will see you next time.